As Lord Malmesbury, the British Foreign Secretary, said in 1852, we should deeply regret any dispute that might lead to conflict between two of the great powers of Europe. But when we reflect that the quarrel is for the exclusive privileges in a spot near which the heavenly host proclaimed peace on earth and goodwill towards men, the thought of such a spectacle is melancholy indeed. The consequences of the 19th century war in the Crimea was truly awful. The casualties reached 750,000 soldiers, not including civilian deaths, which are hard to ascertain. Strangely enough, looking at this conflict from the modern perspective, where religious issues are to the forefront, it's intriguing that the war in the Crimea, which ran from 1853 to 56, owed a lot to religious causes, a clash between the Muslim world and that of the Orthodox Christian, though not as we might expect it. In this case, we have, at least on the face of it, two Christian nations, Britain and France, fighting to protect Muslim Turkey from the expansion of an Orthodox Christian Russia. It's an unusual story, with strategic and political control of regions of the Black Sea being the underlying aim of the Allied forces. Plus, it was a way of halting Russian advances towards Constantinople and the promise of ice-free Russian ports. The war saw more die of disease than gunfire, the rise of Florence Nightingale and sea coal, battlefield nursing, one of the most enduring poems of the Victorian era, and for many the war is seen as a blueprint of how not to run a war. The phrase, the sick man of Europe, as a way of describing 19th century Turkey, is well known to students, and it has an element of truth about it. The power of the Ottoman rulers to refuse growing Orthodox Russian demands on the holy places that were administered by the Turks became more noticeable as the 19th century wore on. The French, under the leadership of Napoleon III, also saw a way to increase the role of the Catholic Church in the region, and by forcing the Russians to retreat from the area, it was hoped that France could take over the admin duties regarding the holy sites that had been in dispute. In keeping with the fashion for gunboat diplomacy, France dispatched warships to prowl up and down the Dardanelles. As soon as the Turks backed down, the Russians upped the ante by leaning on the Ottomans even harder to remain with them. The position of the Turks was rapidly becoming untenable, and something had to give. By the mid-19th century, it was clear that the Russian Tsar was spoiling for a fight with the Ottoman Empire, and it was to be in Bethlehem at the Church of the Nativity where violence between followers of the Orthodox Church, supported by Russia, and the French-sponsored Roman Catholic Church broke out. This was policed by local Muslim Turks. Clearly this complicated thing was building towards a disaster. As far as Britain was concerned, well, they were prepared to sit and watch how things unfolded. True, the relationship with France was slightly warmer, even though Lord Raglan spoke of the French as, quote, the enemy. Russia was viewed in a very suspicious way. The bear had designs on India, or so it was believed, and that was enough to raise alarm in the colonial office in London. Events in the region rapidly spun out of control. 
and after the Tsar's announcement of following religious murders, he was stepping in to become the protector of all Orthodox Christians living under the rule of the Sultan, Turkey and Russia officially declared war against each other in October 1853. The Russians had not expected the British to be so quick to anger, and the prospect of a Franco-British alliance was also not really foreseen. They were, after all, natural enemies, and hundreds of years of animosity could surely not be put aside so easily. Actually, the Tsar had made a major miscalculation and had tipped the balance of power in Europe way out of kilter. The French, who were ready to defend the role of the Catholic Church, were stung into action, and the Emperor could see an opportunity not only to placate Catholic France, but focus attention towards a foreign war. The sound of rattling sabres was becoming deafening, on the streets of Paris. In London, attention had been grabbed by the perceived threat posed by Russian expansion towards the Mediterranean, allowing Russia access to warm water ports was not on the British to-do list, and the growling of the lion was quickly escalating into a roar. Interestingly, even the Austro-Hungarian Empire took a very dim view of Russian actions, and the possibility that Russia was planning to restrict Austria's access to the Black Sea saw orders for mobilisation given in Vienna. And this was even followed by Prussia, who feared a possible attack on the Germanic Confederation in Central Europe. Clearly, Europe was on the edge of its seat. Arguably, the tipping point was reached when news of the Russian victory at Sinope in November 1853. This naval battle saw the Russian fleet overwhelm that of Turkey. And although the nations were at war, it seemed to Britain that the underdog Turks had been massacred by the Tsar's ships. In fact, a massacre was exactly how the news of the battle was reported in London, leading to a sharp rise of anti-Russian sentiment and pushing Britain closer than ever to war. One of the fascinating things about the conflict in the Crimea was the way the British government, people and press fell so easily into a war footing. It was almost as if the lack of heroics on the battlefield since 1815 had encouraged a whole generation of young men to feel the desire to prove themselves in the crucible of war. Actually, there had been numerous conflicts since 1815 around the globe that had thrown Victoria's small army into the fray. But these have come to be known to us now as small wars, and they did not get the high-profile attention given to a European war. An example of one of these being the fighting in the far north of New Zealand, not far from where I'm sitting now in 1840. But news from the other side of the world was patchy, and the number of soldiers involved in this was relatively small. The peace of Europe since the fall of Bonaparte had placed Britain in a position of wealth and power that was becoming intoxicating. The self-confidence of the Great Exhibition of 1851 stands as a monument to the free trade, economic and territorial strength of the nation. Given the reliance on trade, it's not surprising that the British saw the, the attack on Sinope as being a potential threat to Mediterranean routes through to India. This was not to be tolerated. The Thunderer, the London Times, after much umming and ahhing, finally called for a swift, decisive action to halt the Russians. Queen Victoria remained unconvinced, and in government there were still a few doves who opposed the hostilities, but they were being shouted down. 
debate dribbled on until December of 1853, when even the most anti-war observer could see no way of avoiding bloodshed. In March 1854, Britain and her long-term enemy France jointly declared war on Russia, amidst marching, cheering and singing in the streets. The public reason given was the protection of poor old Turkey. But in reality, the need to take the Russians down a peg or two was the underlying cause. The declaration of war was clear, but the reasoning behind it was much more confused. It has been seen in recent conflicts that to enter a war with no clear war aim and no clear path for exiting that war is a very dangerous prospect. The war in Vietnam serves as a fine example of that. Some found it odd that Britain would send its sons to fight against Christians and on the side of Muslims. And while ministers at the time tried to downplay the religious aspect, they instead focused on the issues of right and wrong, according to them, Britain would not be fighting for any religious cause, but would be fighting for justice. Now, as far as the plan went, the Allies originally set out to eject Russian troops from the regions around Moldavia. But following the Russian withdrawal from that area anyway, the planners chose instead to land in the Crimea, to dominate the Black Sea and to capture eventually the Russian naval stronghold of Sevastopol. The pride of Britain's army was loaded on board leaky transport ships and ferried through the Dardanelles, past the city of Constantinople, making sure eventually in Varna, on the Black Sea coast. In spite of being assured by the Turks that Varna was a very healthy spot, cholera soon made itself known among the troops. The slow transport of these troops came as no surprise to the Russians. In fact, a cursory glance at the Times newspaper would have given them all the details they would have needed. Tsar Nicholas said at the time, we have no need of spies, we have the times. So the Russian army waited and watched. The eventual war would lead to the Battle of the Alma, check out the pub names in London, Battle of Balaclava, the famous charge of the Light Brigade, Florence Nightingale and Scutari, some of the very first war photography and embedded reporters. But the war itself will be the subject of a future podcast. Goodbye.